if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 27. So we go through our series on the church. Purpose of the church, what are we here for? What is it that God has called us to do? I think one of the most important things that uh, as a body we're to do is to go to the Great Commission. So as was read in the scriptures today, he has given us authority, he has told us to go, he has told us to make, he has told us to teach. Are we doing that as believers? There's a story in a book by George Sweeting, it's called The No Guilt Guide to Witnessing, and he tells a, a story of a man named John Currier, who in 1949 was sentenced to life at hard labor for a murder, and um, he was working in a, on a farm in Nashville, Tennessee, and then in 1968, his sentence was terminated, and the letter, the letter uh, bearing the good news was sent to him, uh, but he never received it. He was never told anything about it, and another 10 years went by, and finally somebody on the parole commission found out what was going on, and he, uh, he continued doing this hard work, and uh, they finally got to him and uh, shared with him that uh, his sentence had been terminated, that he was a free man. And George Sweeting concluded the story by asking, Would it matter to you if someone sent you an important message, the most important message of your life, year after year, the urgent message was never delivered? Sort of what the Great Commission is about. The gospel message is the most important message that we will ever hear. It's the most important message that the world needs to hear. And yet, are we doing our part as individuals and as a church to fulfill this? And we have many reasons why we don't. But we have, those of us that are, are, are born again believers, have the Holy Spirit in our lives, have, have heard the good news, have been set free uh, from this bondage of sin. We are responsible for sharing this gospel message, to proclaim it to others still enslaved by sin. Now, I work in a prison where people cannot come and go. We teach them up there how to be free on the inside, right? Because we think freedom is doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We teach them how to be free on the inside. I'll tell you that the world today is full of people that are free on the outside, but they're enslaved on the inside. Mm -hmm. They're in bondage to sin in their lives. The, the sin of lying has a hold of them. The sin of, of whatever, pornography, the sin of stealing, the sin of addictions, has a hold on them. And Jesus has given us this message to proclaim that we can be set free. You know, one of the songs we sing from time to time here is Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, I've Been Set Free. That's what the message is that we need to give out. Are we doing all that we can do to make sure that people are getting that message? That we have that message that will set them free in their life. Here's some statistics. 19 out of uh, every 20 who become Christians do so before the age of 24. That's a pretty good success rate, 95%. 
After 25, only 1 in 10,000. After 35, 1 in 40,000. After 45, 1 in 200,000. After 55, 1 in 300,000. After 65, 1 in every half a million will accept Christ. After 74, 1 in every 700,000. That's by Leadership Magazine. We see the urgency that the gospel needs to get out, and it needs to get out while people are young. It needs to get out to them when they are receptive. You know, the older we get, the more set in our ways we get. I know the older I get, I sort of get routines, and I just don't like it when my routine is upset. I sort of get used to life like this. But you know, kids, when we're young, we're pliable, right? They can roll with anything. It doesn't really... We need, as older folks, to remember that we need to stay pliable in our life. And most of the people that we run into are in these other categories. So we need to be diligent in what it is that God has called us to do in sharing these things. We need to know that the gospel message is that important. It's that letter, it's that, that message that is the most important message that they are ever going to hear. And so we need to focus on that gospel message now. And so the authority is by Christ. So he starts in, in um, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So we proclaim this gospel message. And I want to ask this question is... Uh, do you have even a witnessing technique? Because he's called us to be witnesses, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. He's called us to be his witness. So do you have even a, a witnessing plan? You know, D.L. Moody um, one time was uh, approached by a lady and, and she said, I really don't like... Um, I really don't like your method of evangelism. And, and he responded to her, he says, you know, I, I really don't like it much either. What do you do? She says, well, I really don't have one. And he says, well, I guess I like mine better than yours. See, you've got to have a plan for evangelizing others. You've got to have a plan that you work with. To know, And so, as a church, that's our encouragement. It isn't wonderful that God has chosen you and I to be this vessel, to be this, this ambassador, to be this conduit, to take this message of a God that loves us so much, and this, his son Jesus Christ, and the redemptive story, and share this with others. I mean, what an honor and what a privilege. And by whose authority, though we may ask, do we carry out this mission? What right do we have to disrupt others' lives? We might think about that. What makes our beliefs more important and unstoppable? Well, simply the gospel. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, I, I, I hate that when people say, you know, there's two things we don't talk about. We don't talk about religion, we don't talk about politics. The two things that have the world and the state that it's in right now is religion and politics. So this gospel message stands affront to all those things that are going on in the world. And we need to speak that. We need to speak about it. Jesus gave the authority and the power and the ability to us. He's given it to us. It's not in my wisdom. It's not in my power. It's not in my strength. 
If it's, if it's because of something I'm generating up, it's a failure. Jesus says, I have given you the authority. I have given you the ability. And so like Jesus, we now can make disciples. A disciple is a student. And we can teach them. Okay, So we, we bring the message of God down to people. We teach them. We show them what it says. There's baptism involved. The step of obedience. And he has given us that authority. We don't stand in our own authority. We don't stand in our own wisdom or in our own uh, in our own ways. You know, sometimes we try to develop all these uh, plans and, and programs and this and that. To do. The gospel message is the truth. We're to speak the truth. We speak the truth in love. And of all the gifts in Scripture that are mentioned, and, and there's many that are mentioned. All of the talking about God's power in our lives, and as Christians, we like to talk about, oh, God gives me the power for this, he gives me the power for that. We, we profess mighty things with our mouth, but our actions show different most of the time. But when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a verse in Acts 1.8 that says that we were given the Holy Spirit, not as a warm fuzzy to make me feel good about myself, not as justification, and listen to this, not even to prevent us from hell. You know, the gospel message that, that is preached, and I, I would say falsely by a lot of churches, is, is accept Christ so you don't go to hell. This may surprise people that Jesus didn't come to prevent us from going to hell. He came to deliver us from sins. Now, when he delivers us from sins, we're not going to hell. But the emphasis is different. If I focus on I'm not going to hell, so I, you know, somebody says, hey, you know, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And most people that I've talked to in my life say, I don't want to go to hell. Oh, say this prayer. You say this prayer, maybe you come to church, you won't go to hell. See, it, it makes it all about hell. Jesus' redemptive work, the blood that was shed on Calvary, was for the remission of sins, to forgive us our sins, to change our life. And that's why we see in the church so many people that their lives aren't changed. They, they've put their trust in a prayer so they don't go to hell. They haven't put their trust in Christ to, to hate sin the way that Christ hates sin. But it says in 1.8 this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, my witnesses, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. We have the Holy Spirit in our life to be a witness to Christ. Some preachers, when they preach, they say, can I get a witness? People say, amen. I'm in agreement with that. The witness is that, that we are there to testify of what Christ has done for us and what he can do for you. We are there to testify of the gospel message that is contained within the book we call the Holy Bible. And it says you receive the power to do that. We fail because most of the times we stand in our own power. Why don't we witness to others? It might be a question we ask ourselves. Why don't we witness to others? Why do we fail so miserably at that? A couple of weeks ago I talked about us being spiritual mules, right? Mules have a lot of good characteristics. They're hard workers. They live longer. They tend to be healthier. Their problem is they don't reproduce, right? So a lot of us are spiritual mules. We're hard workers. We love the Lord. We love one another but we don't reproduce ourselves. We're not out making disciples. We're not out teaching others. And so why don't we do that? 
Well, some statistics say 90% of people don't share their faith or witness because they've been rejected sometime. They've tried to share their faith and they've been rejected. So this brings me back to like 7th grade, 8th grade, when we go to like a Sadie Hawkins dance or something and the boys are on this side and the girls are on this. And, hey, go ask her to dance. Walk over. You want to dance? No. Oh, man, I'm crushed. I go back there. I'm not. I'm never going to ask a girl to dance again. I've been rejected. Okay, that can be terrible in our lives. It's not a good feeling to be rejected. By the way, I think Thomas Edison, in a worldly sense, he was rejected. He failed uh, probably hundreds of thousands of times, but yet he holds the most patents in the world, I think, for inventions. He kept going at it. He kept working at it to get it right. Those of you that like sports, you'll never succeed as a baseball player if you think you got to hit a home run every time that you're up to bat. Matter of fact, a good ball player only hits the ball one in four tries. And probably a home run, one in every 50 or 100. I'm, I'm not sure of that stat. But they're up there and they're trying and they're swinging as hard as they can Every time. The best receivers in the world drop passes. The best quarterbacks miss their targets. The best free throw shooters, you know, hit the rim. It's no different in the spiritual world. We're not doing it for a 100% success ratio of if that's the only thing because then I can get a little pat on my back and say, oh, I'm so good at this. No, it makes us all the more determined to tweak what we do, to, to present our message to the lost, and maybe time and time again. But many don't do it because they failed in witnessing before, and so they just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it again. I, I don't like that feeling of rejection. Well, guess what, it's not about you. <clears throat> you know, the mailman used to say, the, you know, let rain or sleet or dark at night or whatever, they deliver the message, Right? Christ has called us to deliver this message. And we continually go out and we go out and we go out and do it. For some people, they're, they're biblically illiterate. They don't read the Bible. Matter of fact, I think um, we may start a little study here on, on ways to read the Bible. But some people, you know, they get fixated on a, on a passage or on a book or on a chapter or on a situation. They just stay there. Some treat the Bible like a lottery. They just sort of flop it open and wherever it's open to, they, oh, this must be what God has for me. They don't take it in context. Who wrote it? Who they write it to? So we have all these things. So some of us, we just don't read the Bible. We're, we say, well, I'm just too busy. I don't understand what I read anyways. I tell people, if you don't understand it, that's why we have group Bible studies. So we can share with one another. Never think that you can just go out and, and be successful doing these things on your own. Christ has, has developed the body. That's why in Corinthians it talks about the church is like a body. There's hands and feet and fingers and ears and eyes and nose. And, and, and they all have different functions, but they're all very important. If I was to cut off all four of these fingers and lay them up there, they would be of no value to me. Because they're not part of the hand. Right? But people think, well, I can just read the scripture and, 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 and you know, discern it all for ourselves. I, I've been a pastor, you know, 30 years, and 
I still am learning. Every time we get together for a study, every time I do a devotion, every time I, I listen to something on the radio, if I'm listening intently, I learn stuff that God has us. But you've got to open your Bible. Today in churches, we don't even bring our Bibles. You know, some say, well, I got it on my phone. Well, guess what? When the phone goes dead, I still got my, my Bible. And I carry Bibles in my vehicles. I got Bibles at home. I got Bibles at work. I got a Bible everywhere pretty much that I go because if I want to stop and I want to read the Bible, I got the Bible. Okay? But you need to open it. It does no good when it sits there. I was listening to an old gospel song this, this last week and it talked about fingerprints on the Bible, dust on the Bible. And you can see the fingerprints. Bible does no good sitting on the bookshelf. Does no good tucked under the seat of your car. You got to open it up. You need to read it. But so most are biblically illiterate. They don't even know how to explain to somebody what salvation may mean. Because somebody told them, you don't want to go to hell, say this prayer. So what are they going to say? Well, you don't want to go to hell, say this prayer. They don't talk about the history of man. God created man in his image. Things were good. Man sinned. There was a fall. It was that sin that separated God from man. And way back then that God put in place a redemptive solution through the son Jesus. And so all through time that there was sacrifice that was meant for our sin. And Jesus became that perfect sacrifice. And by the cross and the shedding of his blood, he offers that free gift of salvation to all who believe. You know, it's, it's as simple as that, but some people can't even articulate that because they, they don't do that. They don't even practice it. Sometimes just at home, reading through it and, and, and sort of rehearsing it yourself helps you do that. That's, you know, a little while ago we went through the colors of salvation. That was part of that. This is how we share the gospel. Some people want to leave it to the professionals. That's the pastor's job. That's the deacons and the elders' job. That's the evangelist's job. They want to leave it to the professionals. I'll tell you, most people that come to Christ don't come through a pastor or a deacon or an elder. They come through a friend. They come through a relationship. They come through a family. You know, Billy Graham tells a story once where they used to have like three-day crusades. And a lot of times in the, in the day or two, Previous, they'd have different pastors preach. And one time he just came into um, the congregation sort of incognito or out into the stadium, incognito sort of disguised. And he was sitting next to a guy and, and he could tell the guy was sort of fidgety in his seat. And the altar call came at the end and, and uh, Billy Graham said to the man, you know, if you'd like me to walk forward with you to accept Christ, I will. And the man sort of pondered for a moment. He says, no, he says, I think I'll wait for tomorrow when the big guy comes. You know, thinking, didn't even know he was talking to Billy Graham. Sometimes we, we think it's somebody else's job, but it's not. This great commission is to all of us. He was talking to the 11 apostles, but this was to all of us. This is the call to the church. Well, who's the church? We're looking at it. You and I. This is the church. This is the body. Each one of us individually comprises this body. So all of us are called to do these things. Some believe that they shouldn't impose their faith on others. That's foolish. 
You have the you have the cure for cancer. Would you share with somebody that's sick and dying? Sure, you would. I would. If you didn't, you're sort of a heartless soul. We have the answer to what the world's looking at. We have the words of eternal life. We can tell people who to put their hope and trust in. It's not in a government. It's not in a person other than Christ. It's not in a church or a religion. It's in the Father. In His Son, Jesus Christ. And the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes with us. We need to impose our faith. Maybe not our religion, but our faith on others. We need to, to be sly as serpents and gentle as doves. And we need to find and, and work at every way we can to speak that truth into people's lives. Lastly, sometimes we listen to Satan's lies. Who are you? Satan will say to me. To preach a message. Who are you with the things you've done in your past and in your life? Who are you with the things you might struggle with in your life to share with another person? How can God use you? And so we listen to Satan's lies. We've got to shut those lies out. We need to read the word. We need to be obedient to what God's word has to say. So he tells us what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Go therefore. Wherever you go should really be the understanding today. And we go everywhere, don't we? We're people on the move. I mean, COVID slowed us down for a little bit. I remember when it first started, Augusta Street was pretty empty. But for the most part, we're on the move. There's people, they can't sit home anymore. They're always on, uh, I've been home for three hours, man. i got to go out and do something. got to run to the store. got to run to the coffee shop. got to run here, visit there, there. We're always on the move. Our daily businesses take us places. Listen, you may go to work. Go, therefore. It says go, therefore. You may go to a, a coffee gathering. You may be going to a Bible study. You might be going to a family function. You might be going shopping. You might be going to the mechanic. Wherever it is that we go, he says, go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, we've got to be persistent. And we've got to seek the opportunity. There's a story about a man that, was, uh, that joined the service. And during boot camp, he'd, he'd get down at night when he was getting ready to go to bed. And he'd kneel next to his cot and he'd pray. And the rest of them, they were probably boozing it up and, and smoking, playing cards, poker, whatever. And, they would, they would mock at him and ridicule him and swear at him and toss boots at him and just sort of making a, a whole mockery of the deal as he would do this. And he went through this for about three days and he, and he got really discouraged and he went to the chaplain and, and told the chaplain what was going on. And the chaplain told him, you know, you got to share that, that living area with all these guys. And it's probably not really fair that you impose all your stuff and God hears you when you pray silently in, in your bed and you don't need to kneel next to the bed if you're kneeling in your heart and, and you know just don't be antagonistic to these people and so the, the man left and got to be about three four weeks later the chaplain saw this young man again and he said well how are things going and he says 
well, wonderful. And he says, oh, so that's working. He says, no. He said, for about the first three days, he said, I felt like a whipped dog laying in my bed. So he says, I got down and began to pray again. And since then, he says, three of those men have come to Christ. We're having a study and we're praying for the rest of them. See, you got to get to the point where you are tired of weak Christianity. You got to get to that point where, you know, you just don't. It's not about being weak. It's about being bold in the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel message with others. And you got to share it in love, okay? You got to share it in love. But you got to share it. We have that important message that people need to hear. He has told us to make disciples. We need to go out there. And the only way we're going to make that is when we get out amongst them. Thank God, really, for the privilege of being able to confess and profess Christ as our Savior. And the world needs to hear that. So he says, make disciples. Disciples, again, are students. So it's really commanded that we are to make learners of Christ. So some people say, you know what, I don't need a, I don't need a Bible study. I can just read the Bible on my own. Um, that's that's a, sort of the world's broken thought. I can do it on my own. I don't need others. The Bible tells us, study to show yourself approved. Okay, so we need to study the word. And it's always good to study with others. Again, that's why God has instituted the church, that we work together, we learn together, we pray together, we grow together. That's why they have seminaries where students go to learn more. That's why we have Sunday school where we raise kids up and we teach them those things. We don't just tell a kid, hey, you know what, when you're old enough to read this, here's the Bible. No, we instruct them in the ways of righteousness. We instruct them in God's word. So he's given us that, that commission. He's given us that command that, that we're to teach others. Okay? Not forcefully by compulsion, but we teach them wherever we get the opportunity, however we can. But how do we begin? It begins by being a disciple ourselves, a student ourselves. You know, if you were to go to school growing up um, one day a week, would you have gotten the education that you got? No. You know, I look at church as this. It's sort of like the gas station. You know, we do a lot of running. I drive a lot of places, and every now and then I need to stop and refuel. That's what church is. We come together, and, and we learn, and we refuel. We get, you know, inspired again, and, and we get committed again, encouraged again. We learn about God, and then we go out into the world to do what it is that he has called us to do out there. But we need to be disciples ourselves. We need to be learning ourselves. We need to be students. Even as a pastor, I'm a student. There are studies that I'm involved in where I'm not leading them, I'm listening to them. I may give input, but I'm still there. So we need to be an example. We need to set the example. You know, we grow the way that our mentors have taught us. You ever have somebody say, well, you know, you sure are your father's son. At the prison, my one boy works there, and sometimes they'll say, oh, he's just like his dad. Sometimes I'll step back thinking, well, what did he do? Is it good or is it not good? Or, you know, most of the time it's good. But it's the truth. As we raise our children, as they watch us, they follow in our footsteps. We can tell them, oh, don't do this. My mom growing up, used to drink and smoke, and she'd say, don't drink or smoke. It meant nothing to me. I grew up in her shadow. I drank and smoked. 
You know, it's just how we do. We learn by example. What's that saying? We, we want to, uh, I'd rather see a good sermon any day than hear one, right? We need to be the example to those that are looking at us. So none of us in this room knows it all. Not one of us. We all have room to grow. We all need to learn a little bit more. Um, we, we don't just study the Bible by ourselves, but with others because we get stretched, we get challenged, we get able to look at things in a different way. The other question is, where's the evidence in your life? So again, we can talk about individuals, we can talk about a church, but where is the evidence in your life? Are you living out the scripture in your life? Or are you a closet Christian? Or, you know, when you, when you leave the church or when you leave a, a function, do people even really know that Christ is center of your life? Where's the evidence? We can always learn something. So it tells us to baptize. Baptizing is very important. It's the first thing that God calls us to do after accepting Christ as Savior. Baptism. It's a public profession of an inward change. It's a picture of what Christ has done for us. His death, burial, and resurrection. I've died to myself. I'm rising in the newness of life. A lot of people don't like to be baptized because it sort of brings attention to them. I remember one instance where I had a, a, a lady say, well, you know, I don't want to be baptized because my, my hair is going to look funny when I come out of the water. And it's like, you know what? The baptism isn't about you. It's about Christ. You're doing this for Jesus. See, when we do stuff for ourselves, then we're always worried about ourselves. How do I look? How do I present myself? How, what are people going to think of me? But when we're doing it for Christ, it becomes about Him. So, you know, I, I had another gentleman that said, well, I'd like to be baptized, but I want to be baptized. You know, can you just come on out to uh, my house with my wife? And, you know, it's like, no, it's a public profession. You know, if you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ, why would you want to be baptized? But it's the simplest, probably the simplest thing that you're ever going to do in your Christian walk is to be baptized. I mean, to be immersed in water is really, that's not that difficult. Walking the walk the rest of your life becomes the challenge in our life. But he calls us that. So that's our first act of obedience. And it's the first act because he tells us this also. So we baptize in them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what's the very next thing? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That word observe means obey. Doesn't mean you teach them and they sit back on the sidelines and just sort of, oh yeah, I see what that means. I see what that means. No, it means obeying it in our life. Following it in our life. Doing what it is called us, what God has called us to do in our life. So a sign of being in Christ is this. Jesus says, if you love me, Obey my commands. If you love me, do what I say, is what Jesus is saying. If you really love me, this is a sign of being a true Christian, you will do what I say. He also says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Some people think, well, I go to church, I, I give money, I help, you know, little old ladies cross the road, I do all these good things, but he says obedience is better than sacrifice. To obey what God has called us to do. The Lord wants, desires, our obedience to his commands. And it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's not that checklist. But it, it's like the Good Samaritan. We help those that are in need. It's like walking the extra mile with somebody. You know, when they've compelled you to walk one, you walk two. If they want your, your coat, uh, your shirt, you give them your coat also. 
You know, if they strike you on one side, you turn the other. It's forgiven 70 times 7. It's showing mercy to people and grace to people. It's speaking the truth and love. These are all the things that God has commanded us to do, that Christ has commanded us to do, and he, he wants us to do this. And you say, but man, that's a tough order to fill. That's, that's hard to do. Well, what does he say right after that? And lo, I am with you always. We're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in the strength of the Holy Spirit that he has given us. Remember the, the verse on the Holy Spirit? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Christ says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, if you're doing it in your wisdom and your power and your strength, stop doing that because I am here. Do it in my power and in my strength. I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Are you doing this great commission in your life? Because it's not just for the church, but it's for the individuals. And so as the individuals go, so the church goes. Are you doing that? There is an agnostic named T.H. Uh, Huxley. And an agnostic is somebody that uh, believes a lot in the material things of this world. So uh, agnostic would say, I believe uh, that there was a historical Jesus, but um, there's neither evidence to uh, disprove or, or show proof that his death, burial, resurrection was atonement for sins. And so that, that's an agnostic. They don't say that there is no God or no higher power but that there's just no evidence for this thing. And this is where some people get locked in. Some are atheists, they just believe against God. Um, some are polytheistic and, you know, believe other things. But an agnostic just says, you know, there's, there's really no evidence. And, and T.H. Huxley was a very well-known agnostic. He used to go on circuits, tours, books, papers, and different things like that. And he was at a men's gathering of, of some friends of, of his and co-workers and different ones at, at a men's gathering. And when Sunday came, um, a, a majority of the men were getting ready to go to church because that's what we do, right, as, as Christians. We go to church. And, and I just want to say, you know, sometimes uh, in our lives, uh, we allow a lot of things to keep us from church. That, that's Satan that's working that way. You know, sometimes, uh, again, as we teach people and as we are that example, we need to show them what's important in our life by setting our priorities uh, first. So, you know, sometimes it'd be easy for us to say, oh, you know, the, the grandkids are up and so we're not going to church today, by the way. you got to be an example. But, so here's, here's Huxley. And uh, a lot of these guys are going to church. And the one guy that he, he whatever, took a shining to, he asked this, this man, he says, suppose you just stay home with me and, and tell me why you are a Christian. So he was asking this man to stay home with him and tell him why he was a Christian. And this man really knew that he couldn't match wits with Huxley because Huxley, again, is a great orator. He's a, a great speaker. And he, he sort of hesitated on this point. And uh, Huxley said gently, he says, I don't want to argue with you. I just want you to simply tell me what Jesus Christ means to you. And so this man stayed back and he explained um, everything that Christ meant to him. And, and at the end, and it says, uh, Huxley had tears in his eyes, but he said, I would give my right hand if only I could believe that. He still didn't believe it. See, every time we witness, it's not a success rate. It would have been a great story, a great ending to the story. To say, oh, 
And he accepted Christ and everybody lived happily ever after. It doesn't always happen that way. But Huxley realized that there was something missing in his life. And he wanted to believe. But he didn't believe. Okay? So in our life, what is it that, that we find most important to do? I'll tell you, you know, and as important as I think church is, um, sometimes ministry is more important. I've had friends that on the way to church something happened where they stopped and they assisted somebody and they looked at that as a time to witness to somebody and they did witness to somebody. And they would call me, one man, he called me up after church saying, I'm really sorry I missed church, but he went through this story about helping this guy and, I mean, he really went out of his way to help this gentleman. And I said, you know, you were right where God would have you to be. But are you where God would have you to be today? Do you take this great commission seriously? Are you just observing or are you obeying? You know, we, we can sit on the sidelines and watch people go by. You know, we don't say, well, I don't want to impose my faith. And, and so we can say, I'm not going to impose my faith on somebody. And, and in the meantime, we watch hundreds of people on their way to hell. Okay? And that's where they're going. And so judgment day comes and we stand before Christ, maybe we're saved. And these ones that we watch go by aren't there. We had the opportunity to share. Does it touch you? Does it bother you that, that maybe if you would have spoke something into their life, that they would have seen the truth of Christ? That you could have planted that seed. I mean, that's all he tells us to do is to cast that seed, to plant that seed, and the rest is up to God. It's God who calls, it's the person who responds. But as the scriptures say, how shall they hear unless somebody tells them? And how, should they, how can somebody tell them unless they go or unless they're sent? See, we need to be out and about doing the business that Christ has called us to do. Are you doing that? Are you fulfilling that great commission in your life today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is so rich in treasures. Your word is rich in truth. And Lord, we sit here today, and, and Lord, I trust your Holy Spirit is, is speaking to people's lives, maybe convicting or pricking or, or encouraging um, people to make changes in their life. Maybe we are sitting here and somebody has come to mind that we know that we should have been talking to, but we've been putting it off. Father, help us not to put it off anymore. Lord, maybe there's a change in our life. We've been um, lazy in, in the reading of our Bible or non-committal to studies and to uh, service for you. Lord, we don't spend time in our word. We don't spend time um, studying with others. We don't spend time maybe even in Christian fellowship. We're just sort of off doing our own thing most of the time. And then we squeeze you in. And Lord, as the saying goes, if if we're too busy for the things of God, we're just too busy. And it shouldn't be the things of God that are leaving our life, as the picture usually shows in the world. But it's other things that we need to weed out. So, Lord, if you're speaking to us today, Lord, we just pray that we would purpose in our heart, Lord, even before we ever leave this place today, that changes will be made in our life, that we will. Lord, be doers of your word, and that we will share this truth, this gospel message with those that we come in contact with. And Lord, if we are, are rejected, so be it, Lord. They're not rejecting us, they're rejecting you in your word. 
Lord, help us to just be tired of weak Christianity. Let us be so out and out for Christ that the that even if the world calls us fools, that's fine because we know that in a little while the crowning day is coming for those that have trusted him. We thank God for the privilege of confessing and professing Christ. So Lord, help us to have that as our prayer. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.